Hi, this is Ben Zorns with Ellerslie Mission Society. This is part three of a three-part message given by Pastor Eric Ludy at the church at Ellerslie in lovely Windsor, Colorado. It is our hope and prayer that this message would convict, inspire, and invigorate your pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also want you to know that should you ever have any questions or comments regarding any of the ministries here at Ellerslie, we are always happy to provide answers and receive feedback. Simply contact us at info at ellerslie.com or give us a call at 970-686-9022. We really would love to hear from you. Enjoy the message and may your faith and love in Jesus grow larger as you listen. Now here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Session three, the enabling power, the awe-inspiring gospel of grace. All of that to say this. This is Paul's enunciation of grace in the New Testament. This is what the Bible says about grace. So all of what I've said to you so far is to prep your understanding to understand what Paul is saying. And it is quite extraordinary. When you recognize that not only have you been rescued from the filth, but a way has been made and it's called grace. It's the power to do it. Don't just look at Scripture and come up with a justification of why you can't do it. In your own strength, you'd be right. And the enemy wants to keep you at that point in your own strength, saying, hey, as a glove, you can't pull this off. And he'd be right. But he's not giving you the full truth. He's not giving you the gospel of grace, which says, yeah, but you're a glove, which is meant to be inhabited by a hand. Who can do it? You see, you are meant to be filled with the power of grace so that your life could enunciate the invisible hand, and you could showcase the glory of that hand. The perfect work glove. Now, we were looking at that as Jesus Christ. It's the hand, the invisible hand, that is clothed by the work glove, and as a result, the invisible becomes visible. Jesus Christ has revealed the invisible hand that no one has ever seen before. But Jesus enunciated it in and through his life. Well, this isn't just Jesus. That's a picture of us. We are that work glove, and though we were covered in filth, we have been cleansed. We've become whiter than snow, and in a strange way, we are meant to become invisible to this world. We, as we are clothing for Jesus Christ, and he enters into our life, and as he moves, and as he points, as he does whatever he does, we do it as well. And as a result, this world will see him and no longer us. As John the Baptist, who's a friend of the bridegroom, which is exactly our position, as he said, I must decrease. One way of saying it today for our message is, as a glove, I must become invisible. That the true hand would be seen. That's our role. Our role is to decrease that he would be seen. And so it's a little scary when you're a work glove that thinks a lot about yourself. And you're like really, really impressed with your own calf skin to actually become clothing for someone more important than you because you need to decrease that he would be seen. What if no one ever knows your name? What if no one actually even realizes that you're a glove there? Hey, do you see me? You can just sort of see a subtle outline of my form. What if no one ever notices it and all they see is the hand? Isn't that the whole purpose? Don't you know that that's what Christianity is? That is the great work of the saints. It's called the work of grace. So it becomes invisible. This is the work, the perfect work glove. It becomes invisible that the invisible hand might be seen. Glove impotence. 
Now, every single one of us knows that a, a glove cut off from the hand is without power. That's what potency is. So glove impotence means lacking power. This thing is pathetic outside of itself. It only has value when it's on the hand. And so a hand cut off, I'm sorry, a glove cut off from the hand is impotent. Without me, you can do nothing. Without the invisible hand in you, you can do nothing. Now listen to another variation of it. Without grace, you can do nothing. See, it started with without me, you can do nothing. So then I swapped it out for without the invisible hand, the glove can do nothing. But what is the invisible hand? It's grace. Without grace, you can do nothing. So when we cheapen grace, when we lose the power of grace, what happens to Christianity? There's no more doing. The only form of doing we have in Christianity is self-work. It is the glove attempting to showcase the hand without the hand. Legalism. It's destructive. It destroys us. It destroys the truth. But there is another rendition of, of working that we have lost and must come back to the saints of God, and that is you need the hand inside of you. And without this grace, you can do nothing. Without the power to do it, you can do nothing. Or another way we could say it is without the power to do it, you can't do it. Wouldn't that be appropriate? That's what it's saying. Without the power to do it, you can't do it. So God power. Verily I say unto you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, nothing shall be impossible unto you. You know, the more I thought about a hand, because I was sitting in a chair attempting to think of things that a hand could do. So originally I was going to come up with a list of like 10 things. Because I'm thinking, yeah, a hand isn't like infinite in its possibilities. You know, the more I began to realize, first of all, we have different words for all sorts of things. And there's so many subtle things. You know, the difference between pick and poke. It's different. And so as a result, the more you think about it, it's like, I don't know how long the list is. But it's a huge list of what these creations known as hands can do. And what's amazing is the hand of God is a lot more impressive than our hand because truly it is able to do impossible things. My hand can only do that which is natural and that which is possible. But God's hand can do everything. And what lives inside of me as a glove? Uh, The invisible hand which can do all things. Nothing shall be impossible to you. So what do you need? You need faith. You need to believe that he has done it. Hey, I want to be clothing for him, for that hand. Hey, get a hand, get inside of me, please. Hand, animate this glove, please, because without you inside of me, I can do nothing. Nothing shall be impossible to those who yield themselves to the invisible hand and let him function inside them as only the invisible hand can. So I I wrote up a, a, a message. Now, this is my writing of it, so just so you know, I'm not trying to say this is scripture, even though it is the enunciation of what the Bible says. A message from the invisible hand to us. Dear redeemed work glove, I sent forth my only son to rescue you from the trash can, not only so that you could be lifted out of the garbage can and spared the incinerator, but so that you could have my life in you, animating you and doing the heavenly work of the invisible hand in and through you. I stand at the door of your glove and knock, your beloved rescuer. I mean, what, why would we keep him out? <laughs> if God, the almighty invisible hand, desired, just, just follow me for a second, he desired to enter in and to animate our life, why would we say no? I mean, what could possibly be going wrong up top here to actually say no? 
Well, a lot of times it's fear. As a hand, what are you going to do? Wait, wait, wait. I'd sort of like to be a dignified work glove, and I want to look good to all the other work gloves around me, and I don't know exactly what you're going to do, because I've heard stories. Are you willing to have life in you? Because unless that hand is in you, you have no life. You're still a dead, floppy work glove. You see, Jesus Christ has rescued you out of the trash can in order that he may animate you. It doesn't even make sense to be rescued out of the trash can and left in a heap on the ground, flopping around in your sin. You've been rescued from that trash can in order that you might become the living demonstration of his grace. The two ins, which I just described earlier at the end of the last message, in Christ, in the work love, and then the work or the hand in us. So it's us in Christ or Christ in us. And they, it might sound confusing at first, like Paul's messing things up. And he's like, oh, Paul, eesh, you sort of made a mistake there. You need to pick one or the other. Actually, they're both true. You see, salvation, big S, comes by us believing in Christ. And we actually enter into him as if he's clothing for us. As if that work glove literally becomes our clothing. And we are in that work glove. And that perfection, his work as a work glove, is bequeathed to us. And so God looks at us and says, Hey, you're a perfect work glove. And yet it wasn't our perfection. It was his work gloveness. It was his perfection as a work glove that actually we get to share in. And that's being in Christ. But then there is more to it that Paul enunciates, and I'm going to show you for the rest of our time together, that God saved us from that trash can in order that we may have him inside of us and we may become work gloves as he intended us to become. So we'll call this the power of grace revealed. Grace is more than a hug. So buckle your seatbelts. We're going to go on a little journey through Scripture. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, Paul wasn't the way he was by a hug. He became what he was by something known as the grace of God. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But when that invisible hand entered into me, I added that, by the way, I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the invisible hand of God, which was with me. You see, that's how grace works It is power to accomplish. It is the doing of God. God does. He did, he does, and he always will do. He is grace. He is that which is a gift unto us to enable us to live. So grace is given that we might labor more abundantly. I'm going to collect a little list here. So anytime it's underlined, I'm adding it to my list. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. So what's this grace abounding to us for? That we may abound to every good work. You see, God is going to do the doing. He has given us grace that we would abound and be able to do the work of God. That's just how grace works. So grace is given that we may have sufficiency in all things. And grace is given that we may abound to every good work. We're getting quite a list here. Just wait. I'll read you the final list when we get done. It's a good one. By whom we have received grace. Okay, so we received this grace from God. Is it just a hug? And apostleship. What's it for? It says, for obedience to the faith. We have been given grace that we may be obedient to the faith among all nations for his name. Grace is given for obedience to the faith. With 
and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Grace is given as power for witnessing of the resurrection of Jesus. According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder. So according to this grace, what did he do with it? He laid the foundation. Paul is a master builder of the church of Jesus Christ. And so it's according to this grace that he laid a foundation. It's not just a hug. It is actually something. It's a doing within Paul. And as a result, Paul is able to lay a foundation. And another buildeth thereon, but let every man take heed how he builds thereon. Grace is given in order that we may lay foundations. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach. What? He is given grace to preach. This isn't just a hug. This isn't just a kindness. It's like, oh, I love you over there, Eric. He is literally bequeathing the doing of God that I may become a preacher, says Paul. So this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Grace is given for preaching among the Gentiles. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What do you need in time of need? You need grace. And by the way, if you're being tempted with lust, a hug is not what you're needing. What you're needing is grace, power, the ability to say no and flee from it. Grace is given as our means of help in time of need. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace. For what? What would we do with this grace? Just feel better about ourselves that even though we're living in sin, you know, at least God gives us grace. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Grace is given whereby we may serve God acceptably. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Grace is given to make us perfect. Grace is given to establish us. Grace is given to strengthen us. Grace is given to settle us. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace is given to save us. It's sort of like what I want to say is, any questions? First of all, there's no scriptures that defend this idea of God just wrapping us in some hug and cozying up with us in our sin. There is no such scripture that would give that idea at all. Where has this idea come from? Ungodly men who have crept into the church unawares, that have twisted the idea of grace and emptied it of its power because God intended you to live Christianity, not just esteem it. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. How did they believe? It was grace that enabled them to believe. So grace is given to enable others to believe in Jesus Christ. So Ephesians chapter 3, I mean, we could just call this the chapter of grace. Ephesians chapter 3, which the book of Ephesians is quite the building. Of, up of God's argument in and through the Apostle Paul. And this letter is something very, very special. But Ephesians chapter 3 is the unlocking of the mystery of grace. It is known, Paul uses this term, the mystery. It's a mystery, as he says in Colossians, it's hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed. What is this mystery? You see, God actually intends 
to live inside of you. That hand is meant to fit perfectly into you as a glove. The mystery hidden. Uh, the invisible hand wants to move in and wants to make you his home. <gasps> what? And Paul says, do you not know? Hasn't anyone told you this, that you are the glove of the invisible hand? The temple of the Holy Spirit? Hasn't anyone broken this to you? Hasn't anyone communicated this to you? So here we are, Ephesians chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, the entrustment, God has given us grace, which has given me to you word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. There he starts talking about this mystery. As I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. See, it's hidden. As it says in Colossians, same writer, he says it's hidden for ages and generations. As it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. What is this mystery? Oh, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ." to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Somehow he's going to take work gloves. This is the mystery. He's going to take Gentile work gloves. Hey, no way. That thing's filthy. He's going to take Gentile work gloves and reveal the manifold wisdom of the heavenlies, the movements of the invisible hand. He's going to take that? How is he going to do that? According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the work love, in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that the invisible hand would be inside of you by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Listen to this. That you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You see, this is the chapter of grace Paul has enunciated a mystery hidden for ages and generations, but has now been revealed. What is this mystery? Well, in Colossians, he's going to give us very specific enunciation of it. But right now, it's still sort of mysterious. He's saying, you would be filled. That Christ would be in you. That you would become a temple to demonstrate his glory. Now, unto him that is able to do. Boy, what a statement. Now, unto him that is able to to do. Remember what the name of this message is? The power to do it. Now unto him who is able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. How does he do it? He does it by entering into us and expressing 
and revealing his behavior through us. This is called grace. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Grace, the gift that keeps on doing. You see, when grace enters in, it doesn't stop. When Jesus Christ came and did his work, it didn't stop. It's a gift that keeps on working, that keeps on doing the work of grace. And you will find it's like this concept of grace upon grace upon grace. When God begins to work in you, he continues it until it is finished. He has not just done it 2,000 years ago. He will continue to do it in us today. Grace is given that we might labor more abundantly. Remember that list of underlined statements? This is our list, the compilation. Grace is given that we might labor more abundantly. Grace is given that we may have sufficiency in all things. Grace is given that we may abound to every good work. Grace is given for obedience to the faith. Grace is given as power for witnessing of the resurrection of Jesus. Grace is given in order that we may lay foundations. Grace is given for preaching among the Gentiles. Grace is given as our means of help in time of need. Grace is given whereby we may serve God acceptably. Grace is given to make us perfect. Grace is given to establish us. Grace is given to strengthen us. Grace is given to settle us. Grace is given to save us. Grace is given to enable others to believe in Jesus Christ. How do you live out the Christian life? By grace. How do you have a successful marriage? By grace. How do you raise godly children? By grace. How will we become a church triumphant that reveals the manifold wisdom of God into the heavenly realms? By grace. It's the only way it works. How do you as an individual life demonstrate Jesus Christ in and through your life? How do you obey the word of God? By grace. Embracing the power of grace. Colossians 1. If you continue in the faith grounded and settled, And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God. In Ephesians 3, he calls it the dispensation of grace. Same dispensation. God has given us an entrustment. He has bequeathed to us something. So according to the dispensation of God, he's made a minister, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, here's the mystery, hidden for ages and generations, Christ in you, the hope that you can actually show forth his glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. There is no hope of glory in a dead, lifeless glove. But there is now hope of glory because the hand has moved in. Christ in you, the hand in you. There is now hope of glory. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Listen to this. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. How is Paul carrying out this great commission? How is Paul a minister of grace? Well, God is working in him. He is laboring. He's striving according to God's working, the invisible hand in him, which works in him mightily. A.W. Tozer says, Deity indwelling men, 
that is Christianity in its fullest effectuation. And even those greater glories of the world to come will be in essence but a greater and more perfect experience of the soul's union with God. Deity indwelling men. That, I say, is Christianity. And no man has experienced rightly the power of Christian belief until he has known this for himself as a living reality. Everything else is preliminary to this. Incarnation, atonement, justification, regeneration. What are these but acts of God preparatory to the work of invading and the act of indwelling the redeemed human soul? He ever lives to give grace. Wherefore, he is able. He does it. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever lives to make intercession for them. He did it. He does it. And he will always do it. That's what it means by he ever lives to make intercession, to stand in the gap and be our savior. He is not just a big S savior. He is the savior of all the small S moments of our life. And it's called grace. This is how he does it. This is how Christianity functions. His grace is sufficient. The laugh out loud revelation. I'm going to finish with this. This is just excerpted from a sermon from Charles Spurgeon. And I think it's an amazing Meditation as we close. My grace is sufficient for thee. By the way, this is part of the sermon. This is just his lead in scripture. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Charles Spurgeon says, I have often read in scripture of the holy laughter of Abraham when he fell upon his face and laughed, but I do not know that I have ever experienced that laughter till a few evenings ago when this text came home to me with such sacred powers literally to cause me to laugh. I had been looking it through, looking at its original meaning and, I, and trying to fathom it till at last I got hold of it this way. My grace, says Jesus, is sufficient for thee. And it looked almost as if it were meant to ridicule my unbelief. For surely the grace of such a one as my Lord Jesus is indeed sufficient for so insignificant a being as I am. It seemed to me as if some tiny fish, being very thirsty, was troubled with fear of drinking the river dry. And Father Thames said to him, poor little fish, my stream is sufficient for thee. I should think it is, and inconceivably more. My Lord seems to say to me, poor little creature that thou art, remember what grace there is in me, and believe that it is all thine. Surely it is sufficient for thee. I replied, ah, my Lord, it is indeed. Put one mouse down in all the granaries of Egypt when they were fullest after seven years of plenty, and imagine that one mouse complaining that it might die of famine. Cheer up, says Pharaoh, poor mouse, my granaries are sufficient for thee. Imagine a man standing on a mountain and saying, I breathe so many cubic feet of air in a year, I'm afraid that I shall ultimately inhale all the oxygen which surrounds the globe. Surely the earth on which the man would stand might reply, my atmosphere is sufficient for thee. I should think it, let him fill his lungs as full as he ever can. He will never breathe all the oxygen, nor will the fish drink up all the river, nor the mouse eat up all the stores and the granaries of Egypt. Does it not make unbelief seem altogether ridiculous? so that you laugh it out of the house and say, never come this way anymore for with a meteor, meteorial fullness to go in, with such a redeemer to rest in, how dare I for a moment think that my wants cannot be supplied. Let's pray. Father, introduce us to the fullness of grace. Introduce us to the power of grace and change us. May we not be as we once were, but may we live as you live. It is not us, it is not in us, it is not in our own calfskin that we can do this. But it is in your might, your power, your spirit. You have done it, you will continue to do it, and you always will do it. 
That is our, where our faith stands. You are able and you have done it. The cross is sufficient for us and your grace will never run dry. Oh, little fishy, you say to us, my water in the ocean waters of this world is sufficient for thee to swim in forever and always. It's in the precious name of our great Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to part three of this three-part message by Pastor Eric Ludy, pastor at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Please feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without express written permission. If you have any questions, comments, or just need more information about Ellerslie, please visit our website at www.ellerslie.com. Again, that website is www.ellerslie.com. For Ellerslie Mission Society, this is Ben Zorns, cheering you on as Christ cultivates His set-apart life within you.